0: What I do has a professional side to it, and what I do has a spiritual side to it. <clears throat> um, and so, when preaching, there are some things that I um, can, can use to try to make things effective, um, like illustrations and stuff like that. But there's also a spiritual warfare side to it where you know Satan is working very hard to not allow the message to go out. This is one of those messages. I usually know by the time I get up here uh, what God wants to do in lives through the message. And so the way my day starts tends to give me, on Sundays, gives me a pretty good idea of how hard Satan wants to work. And this is one of those days. I knew it was going to be a tough topic anyway. But um, this morning I fought for 20 minutes on the computer, and then I fought 20 minutes on the sound system. And then I fought the DVD player. And even the chair started to fall apart. So um, it's kind of one of those deals where like, okay, Satan, you're really working hard to make this not happen. Um, so I say that to say this, it's even more important for you and I to be aware that God wants to teach us something today, but Satan wants to confuse it. So, so just be aware of that, because we're going to tackle a very sensitive cultural subject today, okay? Um, And we're going to go against politically correct kind of stuff that you're being taught, right? So um, we're in the book of Ephesians. We're continually walking through it. We're going to be in it through about the middle of February. And then we're going to start a series um, uh, where we're going to tie it to Bible study, to to small group studies during the week. So um, that's kind of where we're headed then all the way up until Easter. Ephesians chapter 1, we talk about what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit did when he saved you. In Ephesians chapter 2, we talk about salvation is by grace. It's not by faith. You can't earn it. You can't do anything for it. Chapter 3, we talk about the idea that difficult things happen if you're a child of God. Um, It's not all roses and and rainbows. Um, There's valleys, and there's difficult times, and God uses those. Chapter 4, we talk about the idea that we have to change the way we think because we tend to think like the world, the Gentiles do, and God wants us to think completely differently. Chapter 5, we talk about how we walk. We talked about the idea we walk in love, and we walk in light, we walk carefully, and we walk filled with the Spirit. And that's where we left off last week. Um, and my illustration that I used with the ping pong balls went way south, but people learned more from it going south than they did for it going right. So, it's, you know, it's awesome. Um, you know, God uses all kinds of stuff. But this morning, we're going to talk about a pretty tough subject, um, because Paul now... He leaves off talking about filled with the spirit and then he's going to go into some specifics and he's going to talk about relationships and he's going to talk about relationships that you have. He's going to talk about um, marriage, husbands and wives. He's going to talk about children. He's going to talk about work. He's going to talk about your relationships with other people and he's going to get into some very specific things that we need to do as we walk according to the spirit of God. So with that in mind, Um, I'm going to give you a bunch of background, but we're going to start with with the first verse. And then we're going to lay out some groundwork. And then we're going to kind of play it off of it for there. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, here's what it said. And remember this, because every relationship that we talk about from here on out gets tackled this way. Okay? And further, again, he's coming right off of be filled with the Spirit of God. Okay? And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So now, in every relationship Paul talks about after this, you've got to understand, this is where it starts. Okay? And Paul lays out two very, very important principles for everyone to be aware of when we talk about this issue of submission. And here's notice what he says. First of all, you submit to who? One another. Okay? First and foremost, here's what you need to understand. Submission is not about you. It's about the other person. Your relationships that you have, it's not about you. It's about the other person. He lays out this principle because this is really important for us to understand. Because what happens is we're in a culture which says what? You focus on your right. You don't let anybody talk to you like that. You don't do this, you don't do this, it's about what you think. How dare they say, it? what do you mean? You don't have to show them respect if they don't show you respect. I mean, that's our culture. Our culture says it's about us. It's about, I mean, even McDonald's, you know, my, you know that's my place. You know, those are my people. Um, you know, I mean, years ago, remember, you deserve a break. Really? 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 You don't deserve anything. Everything you have is a gift. But we have this mindset, and so what happens is, any kind of relationship, you need to understand that. If you're going to focus on you, you're already, off, you're already doomed for You're going to focus on how they treated you, or what they said to you, or how they, how, how they responded to you, it's already off base. Because first of all, in order to, Paul lays this out, and he says, look, you submit to one another. And then what does he say? Why? Out of reverence for Christ. Here's what he's saying. And this is what you have to remember. In every relationship you have, there are three people. You, the other person, and Christ. There's three people involved in every single one of those relationships. There are three things involved every single time that you get involved with stuff like that. There is a third person. There is a third party, and that's Christ. And he says, so... You need to preference everything in terms of how does it relate to Christ. And you're going to see this in every one of the relationships that he talks about. He brings Christ into the picture every single time. Every single time it's related to how Jesus Christ interacted or how Christ responds to it. And so Paul lays out this whole principle of, okay, you have to understand it's not about you. It's about how Christ fits into the picture. Okay. So let's talk about what submission is not. Okay? Because we have a lot of ideas here about in our culture, which says, you know, submissions about being equal, submissions about being on top, submissions about you know, you know, you know, we don't submit for this reason. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a couple of of, of <clears throat> illustrations that I think help us lay the groundwork for what we're gonna talk about here. So here's the first one. Uh I want to go in the corporate world for a minute. Um, those of you who are in corporations or those of you that work in companies, um, you are familiar with this. Um, throw up that. You know what this is, right? It's an organizational chart. So uh, on this particular chart, okay, I, gotta, I can't read it that well. You know, you've got the shareholders and you've got the board and the CEO and then you've got marketing, you've got international, corporate, personal, you've got operations and property and health and then you've got finance, and you got administration, and you got legal, so, so the, now let me ask you a couple questions about this chart, okay? Who's the most important person on this chart? It says the the says <laughs> Does this chart tell you who the most important person in the corporation is? Really. No, doesn't say anything about who the most important is. Who's the smartest person in the corporation? Does this, chart, does this chart tell you who the smartest person is? Who's the most qualified in this company? Does this chart tell you who the most qualified is? Who is the person with the most character? Does this, person tell, does this chart tell you what, who the person is with the most character? You know what this chart tells you? It tells you who's responsible to who period. It tells you what the roles are, period. It doesn't say anything about competency. It doesn't say anything about qualification. I mean, it should, but technically it doesn't. Let me give some of you an illustration you can relate to. Uh, Here's a chart. This happens to be U.S. Air Force um, order of rank, okay? And there's the enlisted at the top, and there's the officers at the bottom, And this is the order as far as who has what rank in, in the military. So, does this tell you who the smartest person is? Anyone who's been enlisted knows the answer to that. Does it tell you who the best leader is? Anyone who's had a second lieutenant who just got out of... OCS can tell you, it doesn't necessarily mean they are competent to lead. And anyone who's ever had an officer or enlisted person over them will tell you. That doesn't mean that they had the character to be the leader. All it means is, this is who's responsible to who this is the role these people have that's all it means it doesn't tell you anything else about it should ultimately you would have love to have the most competent most qualified best leader at the top of the thing but it doesn't always work that way let me throw another one at you we call this the trinity god the father god the son god the holy spirit you understand that in the trinity there is an order Because God the Father, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. God sends Jesus. And when Jesus leaves, he says, I'm going to send the Comforter. So there's an order. God the Father sends, the, sends God the Son, who sends God the Holy Spirit. And when God the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, he always points to the Jesus. And Jesus always points to the Father. Jesus is here, he says, I came to do the will of the Father. The Spirit always points to Jesus. Jesus. We are, they are, and here's what we say in theology, they are equal in essence, they are subordinate in function. They have different roles, but they are one, they are equal. To say that because Jesus does the will of the Father, he is less than the Father, is, we call that heresy, okay? You would never say that, because we believe God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. By the way, this is a freebie, just because I like art. Have you ever seen this symbol? Uh, throw up that next one okay this is the trinity you'll see this in stained glass windows okay that was free now here's the idea all right i just had to do that because some of you are like oh it's really cool design by the way to do in glass but anyway here's the idea when god deals with this whether we're dealing in corporation military in 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 theology order simply tells us who's responsible to who It speaks nothing of qualifications. It speaks nothing of equality. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal. Paul has laid out in Christ we're all equal. He's already talked about that in Ephesians. But there is an order. And there are roles. And there are responsibilities within those roles. That's what we want to talk about as we get into Ephesians chapter 5. So with that in mind, here's what I say. I'm going to read this passage. Some of you are immediately, particularly women, you're going to immediately want to put up walls. Okay? Give me 10 minutes. All right? That's all I ask. Okay? And guys, you can enjoy it for a few minutes, but then your time's coming. All right? So, um, and by the way, I always harder on the guys than I ever am the gals. Okay? So just FYI. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 5. Some of you know where we're going. Let's read it. Let's talk about it. Let's understand it. And Again, verse 21. And further submit to one another out of reverence for christ it's on to everybody now he gets in it wives this means you submit to your husbands as to the lord for a husband is the head of his wife as christ is the head of the church again we're always bringing jesus into this thing he's the savior of the body the church so as the church submits to christ you wives should submit to your husbands in everything okay now this is what he said so time out let's talk about everything first of all does that mean everything the Bible is never going to allow immorality. So that's out. He's never going to allow anything that's contrary to Scripture. So that's out. Scripture is never going to encourage anyone to, to submit to an abusive situation. So that's out. Okay? So let's understand that. Okay? Let's understand that. Wives, it means submit to your husbands and notice the next phrase. That's the Lord. There's your model. There's your model. In the same way that Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, a wife submits to her husband and his leadership. Now notice what it says, though. And now let me talk to guys just for a second. Guys, you need to understand this. This passage does not teach. It is your job to make your wife submit to you. This passage is addressed to wives. This is not talking to husbands at all. God's got his own deal for you guys in a minute. He's not saying your job is to make sure that your wife submits to you. That is not your job. And he's not saying, by the way, he is also saying, it's not your job to enforce the idea that you are the head of the home over your wife. That's not your job either. Your wife is to submit as head of home, that's her responsibility, not yours. It's not your job. It's very important that you understand it. Because a lot of guys have taken this and go, see, the Bible says you should submit to me. Listen, that is not your place to do that. Okay? That is between her and God. Your job is not to enforce that. God has a much bigger job for you. Okay? He's going to get to that when we talk about husband. But he talks here about the wives, and notice what he says. How does the wife submit? She submits to the idea that as Christ is head of the church, he's savior of the body. Just as the church says, you know what? We're going to try to follow the teaching and the leadership of Jesus Christ. So a wife should submit to, follow the leadership of her husband. Okay? Now you go, is that saying that he's more qualified? No. Go back to our charts. Is that saying he's better equipped to do the job? No. It's saying this is a role. And here's the idea. We're going to get to this at the end. Here's the idea. The idea is this. Go back to the Garden of Eden. What was the role before sin? What was the role? Why was woman created to be a helper, to be a helpmeet to her husband? Where? How was she created? Man was you, okay. Man was created from mud. God took a rib out of the side of a man to create a woman. Why? Because he wants them to walk side by side. He wants her to come alongside and help him be a better man. Because on his own, he won't be able to do it. And all God is saying is this. All Paul is saying is this. Wise, listen. Go back to the original tent. Go back to why God set you up and why God called you to be. Be the person God called you and designed for you to be. You come alongside um, you do that in such a way that you become a stronger team. You're going to see that at the end of, as well. You do that in such a way that when people see you, they see both of you. They see two as one. That's the role. It's not the role for him to go, you know, me, man, you, woman. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, that, that is the farthest thing from the role of leadership. God just simply says, here's the order. In a corporation, in the military, we use those charts to figure out who's responsible for who. So if the axe has to fall, we know who we start with. And we, we start with that level and work our way down. It's in the same way with God. God says, look, I have it set up. And here's why. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be, I'm just telling you the way it is. Guys do not want to take leadership. They will run from responsibility. We do not like to in, take on more responsibility. We will we'll easily abdicate that to somebody else to do. And so God says, Look, you need to be, you need to be the, the, the leader that you were designed to be. And you come along, and women, wives come alongside to help him. Okay? Because on his own, on his own, we'll mess it up. Okay? Um, and that's the role. You go, does that mean that I, I'm not as capable? No, it means none of that, just like those charts that we talked about, and that's important for us to understand because we're all to submit to one another. We're all to put the other person first. We're all to see Christ in the center of that relationship. That's what Paul's saying. Now he's going to talk to guys. Listen to this. Let's go back to it. Next passage, um, and again, I'm going to preface it with verse with Verse 21. Further submit to one another a reverence for Christ. Now, husbands, this means you love your wives. And by the way, here's your model. You love your wives like the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You make her holy and clean. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. Sanctify is, is one, what well, one of the versions says. Washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present to her to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, or any blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. He said, Jesus dies on the cross and he gives his life for the church because he wants the church to be this incredible thing of beauty and splendor and grandeur. And then he goes on. Listen to what he says in the next passage. Um, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. It's interesting. That's just assumed that we put ourselves first. And others last. And he says, For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. We're members of his body. Paul now talks to husbands. So guys, let me talk to you for a second. Let's make sure we understand what he says. He is not saying... Your job is to provide for your life, Although that's important. It says in other passages of scripture, you provide for it. He's not saying that your job is to be the head and lead and tell her what to do. Not what he said. You know what he says? Your job is love her. Your job is, and as you understand love, it means you put her first. It's not about what you're going to do today. It's about what you can do for her today. He says, your job is to love her in such a way that you, she is sanctified, set apart, holy. Here's the idea. The idea is that you take her and you put her in such a special place in your life that everyone knows she's number one, no matter what. You do everything you can to put her on the highest pedestal possible in your life. You do everything to bring honor to her, to exalt her, to tell everybody else how great she is. You get up every day and you have one goal in front of you for that day as a husband. And that goal is to do something to show your wife, demonstrate that you genuinely love her today. You do everything in your power that everyone knows she's the most important person in your life. You set her apart in a great way. You go into my office and here's what you're going to find. There's all kinds of knickknacks and stuff like that that I've collected over the years. But there's a glass case. And in that glass case are objects that I have made when I have blown glass or done with glass. Glass. They're in their own special case. They get their own light. They get their own everything. They're, they are set apart as something incredibly special in my office. Why? Because they're valuable to me. They're something I, I, I treasure. They're something that I put great importance on. So if you walk into my office, yes, you will see pictures, and yes, you'll see stuff from Papua New Guinea. But set aside with its own lighting and its own case and its own is glass stuff that I made. You know why? Because it's special it's important. It's treasured. And if you come into my house and you go into my home and you come into my office at at my house, you're going to see a shelf of glass stuff that I have collected over the years. In fact, it's set up that it is so special. When you walk into my office, you set off an automatic little light that lights it up and it stays on for 20 minutes. It is. It's awesome. And I'll sit at my desk, and it'll go off, and I'll realize I haven't moved for 20 minutes. Okay, and I've got to move my feet so the light comes back on. You know, why? Because it's important to me. It's valuable. It's something I cherish, something I treasure, something that's valid. so. And Paul says, look, you love your wife in the same way that Christ loved the church. And he was willing to do anything to go to the cross and share his blood for us because we were so valuable and so important to him. And you look at, and, and like you say, he wanted to present it holy and blameless, in splendor, and all of its glory. You, 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 you develop a relationship and you work in such a way that, that she knows she's important. Listen to me, guys. If you don't just demonstrate to her how valuable and important she is, here's what you need to know. If she's in a work world, there are guys who will. You need to be aware of that. Um, I, I have a dear friend I went to high school and college with, and he's in the entertainment industry kind of thing, and, and he's got a great wife, great kids, good Christian guy. But, you know, the only thing that bothers me is when I look at his Facebook post, there's always pictures of him and some celebrity, guys and gals, and there's just all the pictures of him and his wife like why not? Why is it all about all these other people who are important? You know? I mean, she ought to be number 1. People ought to know you're number 1 and 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 the reason is for the unity so that people see you guys as one. And and I'm just going to be really candid, guys. Look. You don't you don't you need to get rid of any jokes that demean your wife. Period. You go, oh, it's funny. No, it's not. Not if she's the top. Not if she's the top. You can ask my kids rarely did my kids ever hear, don't talk to your mom like that. But I guarantee you they heard, you will not talk to my wife like that. And, guys, listen to me. If you have sons, you had better teach them to respect and honor women. And one of the ways you teach them that is by how you treat your wife. And I think one of the greatest gifts you can give your children is to to have them see two adults who are madly in love with each other through it all and who function as one. And I put most of that responsibility on the guys. That's your job. And in all candor, I think some of the problems that we deal with today are because, and and I've just noticed this, this is my observation of a rural culture. In some cases, I have watched guys treat their wives worse than their hired hand. And I have walked walked away in some situations and thought, you know what, she would be better to be his employer, or employee, than he would be to be his wife. And it's sad. It's sad. And I think one of the greatest things you can do, one of the greatest things as a husband you can do, is make sure your wife knows she's number one. Love your wife. And then Paul addresses now, at the end, couples. And here's what he says. Notice what he says. He comes off this idea we're members of his body, and notice what he goes on to say next. Uh, The next passage, guys. Again, and further submit to one another, reverence for Christ. That's a parenthesis over all this. Notice what he says. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife and the two united into one. This is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The idea, and this is what Paul's saying, when you and I, with our marriages, go out into the world, the world looks at our marriages and they can understand and see we are illustrating to the world the way Christ and the church function together as one. And one of the greatest testimonies you can have, and I think in our culture, as it gets more and more and more, even more so, one of the greatest things that you can have in our culture is a strong, solid marriage that the world looks at and says, I wish I had that that's what I want that's the kind of relationship I want to have and it's it's ironic because I don't talk to my wife about what I'm going to preach on I mean I guess she could read ahead but um you know we, we just don't talk about the Sunday thing there's a discussion always after church on Sunday okay um and when my kids are here then it gets really interesting you know it's like, did you really say that? Uh, but anyway, you know. Um, so I, you know, I get the, the, the that critique afterward. Um, but you know, my wife said she had an appointment this week with somebody, and, and um, the the gal asked her. She said, "What'd you do for Christmas?" And and this year Christmas was really odd for us, and we didn't say a lot to anybody because. Honestly, we were pretty burned out. We'd just been busy, busy, busy with so many things on our schedule and everything else. And we had a lot of opportunities to go different places on Christmas Day. But uh, some of you are really going to... Okay, I don't want you to think that we're like Scrooge. But we had Christmas on Saturday at our home. Um, On Sunday, all our Christmas decorations were down, boxed up, put away um, completely. Um, Monday, we had a lot of opportunities to go. We did something uh, Christmas Eve night and then... uh, so the next day was Christmas Day, and um, we kind of just, we're doing it just chill. And so she worked on school stuff in the morning. I worked on church stuff. We got in our car, drove to Omaha, checked in a motel for three days, and just ran around for three days. Um, you know, we just, we just needed to get away from everything. And, and so that's what we did. And she said, well, this is what we did for Christmas. She told him what we did. And uh, she said, well, what are you going to, what's your plans for today? And she said, well, she said, actually, we're trying to freeze up some freezer space. So she said, "Uh, my husband and I are going to make salsa this afternoon. Just, you know, just, she said, you guys must really like each other. And my wife said, yeah, we do. And this particular gal happens to be divorced and struggles and stuff like that. But it was a testimony of what God did and is doing to a world that needs to see that. That's what we're talking about. That's what Paul's talking about here. And in that culture, the world needed to see people who were in love with each other, who were respecting each other, who were honoring each other, who were putting each other, trying to outserve each other, trying to outlove each other. Because that was the way the church was supposed to respond to Christ. And that's what Paul says. This isn't about me, man, you woman. This is about picturing to a world a godly marriage and a representation of the way God and the church interact with one another. That's what this was all about. So a couple of takeaways. Okay, so um, first thing to all of us. One of the things that we need to learn to do is to submit to one another. Okay? We've got to learn to put other people first and start to see Christ in the middle of those relationships. That's important for us to start to establish. It's not just about husbands and wives. It's about all of us doing that one with another. So that person right now that you have a beef with, a person right now that you're struggling with, try to look at it from their perspective. Instead of yours. Try to ask yourself, what does God have in this for me? What does God have in this for them? I I I don't I can't determine how somebody else responds to me. I can determine what I do and how I respond to them. I have say over that. And am I responding in a godly way? Am I doing what's best to put that other person first? And see it from their perspective, to walk in their shoes, so to speak. Secondly, wives, this isn't about who's better. This isn't about who's more important. You get into a company or you get into the military and you have somebody who is not not fulfilling their role and somebody who is fighting, trying to obtain the role of somebody else or do the role of somebody else, and you have a problem. You get a board member who thinks he should be a CEO. Guess what? You know? You get somebody, it creates problems. You get somebody who's in the enlisted side thinking, I know better than somebody who's in on the officer side. And you, and they may, and they may be right, but it creates all kinds of problems when they don't fulfill the roles and responsibilities that they have to fulfill. God says, look, I want the world to see the way I originally intended, with a man and a woman together as one, functioning together as one, working together in the world as one. Guys, love your wives. Here's a very simple question. When you put your head on your pillow at night, just ask yourself this. What one thing have I done today to honor, to love, to put my wife before me? simple, pretty simple. You go, well, you know, it's not, I mean, it's all about her then. Bingo. Bingo, it should be. Not about you. You know, it's not about you. Um, You put her first. You put her at the top of the list. That's what we're talking about. As couples, you need to show the world two people who are trying to outlove, outserve, out-serve, out-reverence, out-honor, out-putting each other on the top. And believe me, in our culture, the world will take note of that. Because unfortunately, those people become the unicorns in the room. And they stand out. And we want a world to be able to look at our marriages and say you know what? That's what I want. We want a generation of kids to grow up and say, that's the kind of marriage I want. We want a whole group of people who are coming to us saying, tell us how you make that work. The videos that I love, there's all kinds of videos out there. I love these videos of these older couples who start talking to each other, who've been married 60, 70 years in some cases. When I was a youth pastor, we would go and visit older folks in the nursing home, and they, they, there were couples that, that had been married. We had a couple in particular that had been married a number of years. And I used to take kids over purposely and introduce them to this couple. And I would always say, Hey, Harry, tell them the secret." Along. And this is a guy who you need to understand. I don't know how old, Harry. How old was he when he finally died? I mean, it, you know, huh? 90. Ninety something. They've been married all the time. She he out. She outlived him. And and you know what? He still opened doors for her. He still treated her like a queen. You know, and they just tried to out serve and out love each other. I'd bring these kids who were dating over, and I'd go, "All right, well, let me show you what love really looks like." Let me show you this. And and, and you need to be those couples. You need to be the people. And you have the opportunity to do that. And your grandkids, your grandkids ought to know they're madly in love with each other. And as people look at us, one of the things that they ought to see from us as a church is a bunch of people trying to out-love and out-serve each other, take care of each other. That's what this is all about. And that's what the world needs to see because we're going to a world and saying Jesus cares about you. And if we don't care about each other, we're fighting and bickering among ourselves. The world looks at that and goes, I don't need that. I can go to work for that. That's what we're trying to demonstrate to a lost world. And I just want to challenge you as you go throughout this week, for those of you that are married, set a great example. Those of you who aren't married, Okay? Learn to, learn to honor. Put, all of us need to put other people first. For those of you who are kids, I don't know if God has you as a single person the rest of your life or as a married person the rest of your life. But I always challenge couples when I'm doing marriage counseling, one of the questions I always ask is this. Do you have a couple that when you look at, you go, that's what I want my marriage to be like? Because I think all of us need those models to be able, and and in my life, I have some of those people, and I go to them and say, tell me what the secret is. When I was going to become a grandfather, grandpa, um, I went to a guy who I thought did the best, who I thought was hands down the best grandpa in the whole world. And I pulled him aside and said, all right, we need to talk. Um, He had a granddaughter, and I said, I want to know what you do. I know how she looks at you. I know as a college student how she looks at you. I want my granddaughter to look at me that way. Tell me how to do it. Tell me what you did. You gave me some great advice. Awesome advice. You go, what is it? You go find your own person. Hey, um, you know, this worked for me. This worked for what I'm doing. And it's like, yes, that's what I want to do. Same thing for marriages. I pull the couples aside and I say, you know, tell me a secret. And I observe, and I learn, and I go home and I try to do it. You know, sometimes I do well, sometimes I do poorly. You know, this week, my wife and I tried to master the Instapot. You know what one of those things are? Okay. Ah, that's a whole new world. It is a whole new world. And you know what? We had some successes, and we had some colossal failures, We had one that I looked at her and said, honey, I have pizza in the fridge. And I I mean, I didn't want to give it to the dog. It was that bad. It's like, I don't even want to do that. I'm not going to do this to my dog. You know, Um, it was a disaster. Uh, But you know what? I mean, we learned. We tried. Love each other. Set a great example for a world who desperately needs to see people in love genuine love not this silly plastic thing the world sells as love but genuine deep love of people serving and sacrificing one for another so i end it this way this morning i am with this idea that paul when he writes to these people says he begins to talk about relationships and reminds us that christ is involved and we must look to focus on others and not ourselves as married couple, we need to love and to submit to one another so that we demonstrate Christ's love to us and the church's obedience to Christ. We show the world what a marriage was intended to be. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, culturally, this goes against everything the world tells us. Culturally, Lord, the world wants to make it about us. Culturally, Lord, we focus on our rights. We focus on what we want to do. We focus on making it about meeting our needs. But, Lord, you came and set an example that it wasn't about you, it was about us. And you were willing to do whatever the Father asked in order, Lord, to... Provide a way for us to have salvation. God, I pray that you would help each of us as we go from here to learn to put other people in front of us. To learn, Lord, that you are involved in every single one of those situations. And Lord, for those of us that are married, may we be the men and the women that you have intended and designed for us to be. And may the world see a team who works together as one so that they can see Christ in us. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may people be encouraged by our lives. May they be challenged to seek out our Savior, who's at the center of all we do, and use us. May we love and honor each other this week, these things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.